I'm turning this morning to Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter number 19. And our subject or our title this morning is the sovereign display of saving grace. The sovereign display of saving grace. I want to draw your attention to just one verse as we begin. And that verse is verse number 5. And when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and saw Him and said unto Him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at Thy house. Remember, and this is a, of course a single message, it's not part of an exposition through a book, But even during this time, our Lord was on His way to Jerusalem. He was on His way to Jerusalem to ultimately suffer and die for the sins of His people. And here, on His way to Jerusalem, we see Him as the patient Lamb of God. He speaks to a man by the name of Zacchaeus, not in an invitation tone, but in a commanding tone. He commands this man, Zacchaeus, to quickly make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. The command of our Lord to this character that many of us are familiar probably on one level or another, maybe not, but we've maybe heard the name Zacchaeus before. But this is one of the greatest demonstrations of how saving grace comes to a person. When we think about our salvation and we think about how did I come to know Christ, we see this great display that our Lord showed towards Zacchaeus. Our text clearly shows us that it is sovereign grace that converts the soul. I'd like this morning to go through this familiar story to some and journey through it going verse by verse. So we'll read a verse, and then I'll make some comments on that verse, and then we'll move on to the next verse. But look with me at verse number 1. It tells us that Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, Jesus, in the narrative of Luke, had just healed the blind man that he had met near to Jericho. He had entered into it. But he didn't stay long. He healed a single blind man and he passed through Jericho. And he came into another place. And as he passed through Jericho, we're told that he finds a man or there's a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And this man is described as being the chief among the publicans and he was rich. Now, this man, Zacchaeus, as appears by his name, was a Jewish man. Uh, There have been some who have thought to consider him to be a Gentile because of the employment that he was involved in. Uh, He was a publican. He was a tax collector, a despised profession uh, because of their reputation of being dishonest, oppressive, and taking advantage, especially of the poor. So we see that this man, Zacchaeus, is certainly a Jewish man, and it's important to keep that in mind. 
He was chief among the publicans, a Jewish tax collector who served the Roman government, who had, uh, had occupied Israel. Now, chief here means that he is the head of them in that particular place. He is the one who set out the rest to bring in the tax, to bring in the tolls. He was the receiver, the general receiver of the tax. So it wasn't just what he collected. He was the chief. In other words, he went out and what the other tax collectors would collect, he would take to himself some of those taxes as well. And you'll notice here that as we're told that he's the chief among the publicans, uh, we're not told what kind of tax he was concerned in collecting. We're not certain of that. However, we know that by the, how the scripture reads this, that he was a principal man in this employment. Now, he had amassed, he was rich, he had amassed great riches by this profession. He was making a very good living. Now, he was not just rich monetarily, he was also rich in reputation. Among the publicans, because of his riches, because of his position, he was well known. He had gained quite a reputation for who he was. And though we do see in the scripture that instances of rich men being called by grace are few, there are some. Uh, Jesus himself had spoken about how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God and that it's, it's easier for the camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that a rich man can't be converted and it doesn't mean a rich man can't be saved. But it's certainly riches do hinder often uh, what our thinking is, what we think about the things of God, what we think about um, who, uh, who God ultimately is. So it was not impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. In verse 3, we see that Zacchaeus, it says, he sought to see Jesus. And again, this is important, who he was. Now, what this is telling us is that he was not looking at him as some sort of a redeemer. He wasn't looking at him as some sort of a person who could relieve him of the burden of his sin. There's no evidence that suggests that Zacchaeus was under any conviction, nor does it say he was under any desire to repent. He simply had a desire to see Jesus. Now, why would he want to see him? Well, he wanted to see who he was because he had heard of him. You see, the reputation of Jesus would have spread, and it was spreading rapidly, and people heard about Jesus and what he could do. They had heard about the miracles. People who had witnessed the miracles could not deny that Jesus had actually performed these miracles. This is more of an indulgence of his own curiosity. Uh, it is not unlike the world today. Uh, there are people who are curious about who Jesus is. They're curious about people of God. They're curious about Christianity. There are people who are curious about when they drive by a church building, they say, I wonder what goes on in that place. I wonder what really does it mean to be a follower of Christ. This appears to just be a curious look. He just wanted to get a glimpse who he had heard about. He was desirous to fulfill his curiosity, just to have a sight of him. We have nothing here else that suggests that anything else induced him other than a desire to see him. His desire to see Jesus was not the same as seeing a famous king or hearing a prophet, but it was similar to what we see 
like that of Herod, we're told about in Luke 23, 8. It said about Herod, King Herod, and when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many things of him. Herod didn't want to see Jesus because he needed a Savior. He was glad that I finally get to see this man, Jesus, and all the things I've heard about him. You see, friends, this morning, the curiosity about Jesus doesn't save you. Even a desire to know what does, what, is, what does all this God business mean? What does it mean to, you know, why do you sing the hymns that you sing? Why do you read the scripture? Why do you pray the way you pray? Curiosity doesn't save a person. Even knowing that Jesus is real doesn't save a person. Even acknowledging, I believe Jesus lived. I believe Jesus was a good man. You might even believe that, well, maybe Jesus did some miracles. I wasn't there, but maybe he did some miracles. He's a good example to follow. But that's not salvation. There's nothing here suggesting that Zacchaeus was seeking salvation for himself. There's nothing suggesting here that he had heard and that this is some uh, manner of his free will that's bringing Zacchaeus to say, listen, I want to see this man and I'm going to do anything I can to get to a place where I can see him. We're rather just told about his background than that he is desirous to see. But notice we're told there's a reason why he could not see him. He could not for the press. Now that's not the media. That's the multitude of people. That's the number of people who were pressing in to see Jesus because word had spread that he was passing by that way. It would much be like if someone famous was coming through town and they said, so-and-so's coming through at 2 o'clock and we line the streets and we wait to see them coming just to get a glimpse. There was a press of people. Zacchaeus could not see. And it often causes us to chuckle a little bit. And the reason he couldn't see was because he was little of stature. It means exactly what it says. He couldn't see over their heads. He couldn't see and could not get a glimpse of that curious look that he wanted to see of this Jesus as he passed by. So this is not a random event, but there is a, an event happening before us to where he knows and he's desiring to see who Jesus is. Zacchaeus could not see simply because of the crowd. He was hidden behind them. Zacchaeus simply could not see over their heads. So notice verse 4 tells us that he ran before and he climbed up into a sycamore tree for this purpose, to see him, for he was to pass that way. Very simply, Jesus is coming and Zacchaeus knows he's on his way. He runs ahead of the press and he's very desirous to see and he climbs up into a sycamore tree for this purpose, to see him. Now, the sycamore tree, again, not to uh, delve off too far here, this was a common tree. Um, I've heard people say that there was something special about this tree, that it was, a, it was a blessed tree. No, it was a sycamore tree, which was very common. There's nothing mystical. There's nothing magical about this tree. It was very common. The only thing I will say about the sycamore tree is it was a large tree, very large branches. It was a tree that you would look at and say, well, that's a tree I could certainly climb. Uh, you wouldn't want to uh, climb a small tree that didn't have large branches, but the tree was not specifically blessed. There was, there was not an aura around it. 
that he said, oh, look, a magic tree. No, it was just a large tree. Again, it's sad that I have to say that, but I've heard too many children's stories and too many Sunday school classes that that's how the teachers falsely teach their children. And that's just wrong on so many fronts. There was nothing special about this tree. But the purpose in which he's climbing up that tree certainly does have a value. The reason he goes up this tree is because it is able to bear him and it is a tall tree to serve one purpose and one purpose only so that he could have a full unobstructed view of Jesus who was to pass this way. It's not a lot of deep theology there. It's a narrative, but it's so important because of what gets ready, what's getting ready to happen. For he was to pass that way. Or some translation, it simply says, pass by that. It's interesting that in a lot of the translations, the word way, and in your Bibles, it may actually be italicized. That word's not even in the original manuscripts. It just simply says, for he was to pass that. To pass what? He was going to pass by that tree. Way just helps us understand and get a broader picture of what's taking place. The tree, possibly, on the roadside, so that as Jesus passes by, he's going to pass under that tree. And then notice verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Where the tree stood, that's the place. The tree in which Zacchaeus was, Christ stops, looks up. Now let me stop here and say that God knows, Jesus Christ knows where every one of his people are. He knows where every single one of them are. He knows every single one in this room. He knows every single one in every church in this world. He knows everyone who has already been brought to repentance and faith in Christ. And he knows those who are still yet to be brought to repentance and faith in Christ and to believe the gospel. He knows where you are. This was not a random encounter. When Jesus passed under that tree, he knew one of his own was in that sycamore tree. Not some random man that he's going to invite and say, would you like to receive me as Savior? No, he looks up. He knows not just a man in the tree. He knows that man's name. Now, there's no evidence to suggest anywhere in the Bible that Zacchaeus and Jesus had ever met There's nowhere that says Jesus had met Zacchaeus and this was a second meeting. But yet Jesus stops, comes at a place, the exact place where Zacchaeus is, and he looks up. Well, why is he looking up? Because Zacchaeus is up that tree. Notice that not only because Christ is God, he's omniscient. He knows all things. He also knows that that the Bible teaches us that all that the Father has given to Christ will come to him. This all occurred before the world began. He knew where his saints were. He knew where all of the sons of men would be. He knew exactly where they were, and this is important. He knew exactly when to call them. One of the things we prayed for in our prayer meeting today was praying for our children to be called to salvation at the appropriate and appointed hour. You see, I can't force 
I cannot manipulate. I cannot entertain you to the point to make your child repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. I can't make an adult do that. An eloquent speaker can manipulate the emotions. Their penny can do far better than I could do, but you cannot manipulate someone to bring them into the fold. It has to be an act of God's sovereign mercy. But we pray for our children that God would save them. But here's the, here's the joy that we have this morning, folks. He not only knows you, He knows your children. What greater comfort can I have today than to know that the Savior knows where my kids are, knows where my grandchildren are. He knows where Zacchaeus is. This is not Zacchaeus meeting the Lord halfway. Zacchaeus has no idea this meeting's even coming. But yet Jesus knows him. Zacchaeus is in a place where we often, maybe Zacchaeus doesn't expect anything like this to take place. Christ comes to the very place where His people are and He calls them at the very moment. He comes to them before they come to Him. Your salvation is not expressed by here's when I came to Christ. Your salvation is, is when He came to you. Our testimony of salvation is Christ saved me. I didn't save myself. I didn't desire Him. The Bible says none desire. There are none righteous, no, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So if Christ doesn't come to me, I have no desire to go to Him. If Christ doesn't come to me, I have no desire to go to Him. Zacchaeus was not a seeker. Zacchaeus has falsely been taught as being a seeker-sensitive man. That's not what this text teaches at all. He was not seeking Jesus for salvation. He was just seeking Jesus because he was curious. Now, by the way, I would tell someone, if they said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm curious about this Jesus stuff. Pardon the crudeness. I'm curious about this Jesus stuff. I would invite them to come and see. You see, that's what we're supposed to do. Come and see. I wouldn't look at them and say, well, I hope Jesus passes by your way. It's kind of like telling the poor man begging for bread, say, well, God be with you, but not giving him any bread. See, the reality is we're supposed to tell them, hey, if they're curious, don't, uh, don't rebuke them. Say, why don't you come and see? Why don't you come and see and see this curiosity? And yet Christ came to the very place where Zacchaeus was. Jesus Christ does not reveal himself here because Zacchaeus asked him to reveal himself. He acts the part as the good shepherd. Think about the relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. The sheep don't really know they need the shepherd. You and I, before Christ comes and saves us, you don't even have any idea that you need Jesus Christ. Oh, you might be going through troubles. You may be going through trials in your life and you might think, look, I'm just looking for something to get me out of this trouble I'm in. That's not why we go seeking after Jesus. You see, we don't come seeking after him until he comes looking for us. And I will tell you, he doesn't come looking for you and not find you. Everybody hear what I'm saying? He doesn't come looking for you and not find you. 
He's never looked around and said, look, I couldn't find that one. I know there's one out there somewhere, but I don't know where he is. I can't find him because he knows where you are. He knows the place where you're at. And he knows the appropriate time to call you. You see, it's the shepherd that knows his sheep. The sheep know his voice and they follow him, John 10 tells us. But it wasn't Zacchaeus asking to see him, to talk to him. He was just wanted to see him. Jesus says in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We'll deal with that verse here in a moment when we get to it. But let's continue back in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste. Well, first of all, let's deal with this. He looked up and saw him. Now this, Saul is not a, this word is not just a glance. This is to look and see with knowledge. Jesus knew that this was one that the Father had given him. And that he had loved him and that he would undertake and he would go to the cross for this man. This was one of the ones he had come into the world to seek and to save. And now the appointed time had come to call this one unto himself. I can't fully explain to you what took place before the foundation of the world. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of interaction between what happened between the Father, Son, and the Spirit in that covenant of grace. But you were chosen as a child of God before the foundation of the world. Which means that was before you ever breathed a single breath. Before your heart beat a single time. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. If you're in Jesus Christ, you were not chosen because... You cleaned yourself up and you went to a church and you said, listen, I want to be saved. No, it's because you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Zacchaeus was chosen before the foundation of the world in that covenant of grace. I'm not going to try to speculate on what a conversation that was because I think that's just speaking as the manner of men. We're just going to, I'm just going to make a mess of that. But I will tell you, that this is not a random event where Jesus was walking and said, I wonder, I think this man, I wonder if he's interested in me. I think I'll call him down out of that tree and I'll ask him, hey, do you want to be saved today? No, he commands him out of that tree. And he doesn't command him, hey, when it's convenient, come on down. He says, make haste. Some of your translations probably say, come quickly. You may say something else, I'm... I'm biased towards the version that I use. It's what I've known all my life. I don't plan on changing. It's, I, it's the way I relate to the Scripture. Make haste. Come quickly. Again, remember the Gospel is not an invitation. The Gospel is a command. Repent and believe is not a think about this, consider it. It's a command. Repent and believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ. When? Now? Quickly. Repent of what? Your sin. Come to who? Christ. Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe in what He's accomplished. He looked up and saw Him. He had seen Him before in His Father's purposes and decrees. He being chosen before the foundation of the world. Paul talks about vessels of mercy. Zacchaeus, no doubt, was a vessel of mercy. And if you're saved here today, you are a vessel of mercy. And I hope you think often on the reality of what it is to be a vessel of mercy. 
Sadly, the world thinks God can just be used to get something. But rather, it is from Him in which we receive mercy. He had seen Him. He knew Zacchaeus. He knew Zacchaeus was one like every other human being that were lost when Adam sinned. See, some people today would struggle with the reality and say, well, I'm not really that bad. I'm not really a sinner. And I say this respectfully, it doesn't matter if you think your sin's not that bad. According to the Scripture, you died in your sin when Adam fell. Which means Adam sinned and you're guilty. You say, I don't like that. That's not fair. That's scriptural. Every man and woman has sinned. He who says he's without sin is a liar, makes God a liar. But he looked up, he sees him. He sees him who he is. This was a look, not of invitation, but a look of love, a look of grace, a look of mercy. Christ looked upon Zacchaeus was a look with love, a look of grace, a look of compassion, and it was a distinguishing look. Think about this. There was a press of people. A press of people. We're only told of one person in that press that Jesus stopped and spoke to. He didn't stop and invite everyone that was there all right, since I'm here, would you like to trust me? No, he called one. See, humanly speaking, we struggle with that. We struggle because we think that's not fair. He should have opened an invitation to everybody. Here's the reality. People apart from Jesus Christ opening the eyes to the Spirit, they wouldn't come anyway. You say, I like a God that just lets us and leaves us to our own free will, lets us decide for ourselves. I've said it many times, you don't want to be left to yourself. You will not choose Christ if left to yourself. People are being told, churches, churches are being told, you, you've got to relax, you've got to loosen up, you've got to make your services more acceptable to the lost, to the unconverted. No. Why? Would we take the beauty of what God's Word declares and try to bring it down to something it's not supposed to be? Because our humanity thinks God is unfair. What's well, not fair that He called Zacchaeus and nobody else? Listen, folks, we've all heard this. It's not fair that any of us, <laughs> we, none of us earned it. None of us deserve to be saved. The very fact that He saved any of us is an amazing display of grace. Because there was nothing in you that made Him choose you. You don't add value to God. I don't add value to God. For some reason, He calls us. He calls those He knows. There was a great crowd in front of Zacchaeus. There was a great crowd in behind him. He didn't look on these crowds. Think about all the people who could have been converted when Jesus went from town to town, and yet so many, they weren't called at that moment. Notice the Bible's very clear. 
He saw him and said unto him. This is a one-on-one conversation. He's not speaking to the crowd. He's speaking to Zacchaeus. He said to him, Zacchaeus. He knew him. He could call him by name. Remember when Saul was converted. He called Saul by his name. Saul, Saul, why kickest thou? Why persecute me? He revealed himself to himself. His name, Zacchaeus, was written in that Glam's book of life. He was known to Christ. He was one of the sheep the Father had given. He's one of the ones that Christ would come to lay his life down for. He had a perfect knowledge to call them by name. And he knows the name of all the the chosen and all of the redeemed. Never get over the fact that Almighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ, knows your name. And so that seems so simple. It's really not. When you think about it, if you're in Christ today, He knows you. He knows your name. He knows exactly where you are. You say, but He doesn't know who I really am. Well, He knows that too. He knows every wicked thought we've had today. He knows every attitude that's been wrong. He knows every wrong word we've said towards someone else. Every wrong intent, sinful motive, sinful attitude. Even as His children, we know we still sin. And yet He still knows us. And He still loves us. And there's forgiveness with Him. Repentance. A perfect knowledge of this man who did not know Jesus. Don't want to put too much into the text here, of course, but it must have been pretty surprising to Zacchaeus to hear Christ call him by name. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, if you've ever been in a crowd, and you hear someone shout out your name, and you turn and you look, only to realize they were talking to another person with the same name as you have. But he called Zacchaeus by name, and Zacchaeus acknowledged him. What a surprise that must have been. An utter stranger being called by a Jesus he's never met. This is a considerable instance of the omniscience of Christ. Also demonstrates to us how he condescends to us and the compassion he has for his own. What a familiar use. He calls him by name. Doesn't give him deep theology. He calls him by name and he gives him a command. Make haste and come down. Come down from where? Come down from the tree. So Zacchaeus is to come down quickly. And what does he do? He came down and received him joyfully. Received a stranger he's never met joyfully. He had left everything to come to him. Much like the sinner when he's called through the power of the Spirit of the Word of God. When Christ calls and converts, those who come to Christ certainly come quickly. If you're in Christ today, you came leaving all exalted thoughts of your own worthiness. You came and left behind anything you thought was gaining you favor with God. 
You leave your own self-sufficiency behind. You leave your own righteousness behind. You leave your own purity, your own goodness, your own holiness. You leave it all and you come to him with nothing. You come to him poor and needy. You don't say, Lord, I'm coming to you and I've got something in my hand I think you can use. No, you come poor and needy like a beggar begging for bread. You're not coming to him and offering him something that he needs. It is only those who come to him knowing that he is the great physician. He is the one who can heal, the only one that can heal us from our disease. So I didn't know I had a disease. You're inflicted and infected with sin from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. It's total depravity. Man's not as bad as he could be, but every part of him is inundated with sin. So when we say, listen, sin's not a big deal. I just tell it a lie occasionally. No, that sin, is in, it's infected all of you. And so he tells him, come down. It is only by God's sovereign grace that a sinner can even think about casting down thoughts that exalt himself. Folks, I learn this more and more every day. We really don't understand how much we love ourselves. We really do love ourselves. We exalt ourselves every day. What decisions we make, we make decisions based upon what's best for us. That scripture reading we read in Mark 12 about the love thy neighbor as thyself. That's not just some golden rule. That's the way we're actually supposed to think. We're supposed to love our neighbor that way. See, we don't come to Christ with what we can give Him or what we can offer. We come to Him empty-handed. And it's only by God's grace that we can even cast down those thoughts. Sin exalts itself against Christ. It exalts itself. Sin exalts against the knowledge of Christ. It exalts against uh, our humility. And it's only when we cast those things away that we come to the feet of Jesus. Notice Jesus is very specific. He says, for this day I must abide at thy house. This is not so much for the sake of feeding Jesus a meal. Again, I'm not trying to insult today, but so much, so many Sunday school programs have messed the story of Zacchaeus so badly. They say, see, Zacchaeus just wanted to invite Jesus over for a nice meal. That's not what this is about. I must abide at your house, not for the sake of refreshment for himself and disciples, but for the good of Zacchaeus. To make known unto this man the great salvation that has come to him and the grace that's being bestowed upon him. Jesus is going to have a spiritual conversation with Zacchaeus now. He made haste, verse 6. It immediately reached his heart. Immediately, his conscience was awakened to the reality of what's taken place. His mind's been affected. His soul has been drawn to Christ. He became sensible of the danger he was in. You see, the sinner, before they're converted, has to come to the reality that you are actually in eternal danger. 
I'm not talking about temporal danger like losing a, a thumb or losing a hand. You're in eternal danger. Without Jesus Christ today, without salvation, you will die in your sins and you will be separated for all of eternity. Jesus Christ is commanding you to repent and believe the gospel so that any that will come to him, he will never, not a single time, say, you can't come. Zacchaeus comes quickly. His soul is sensible to what's taking place. He flees to him, no delay, comes to him for what only Christ can give him. He came down. Remember, he had gone up that tree just to satisfy his curiosity. Never did Zacchaeus once think that he was going to be called by name by this Jesus who he just curiously wanted to see. Folks, I've heard of account after account after account of people who have sat hearing the gospel hundreds of times with what appeared to be none effect. They could actually tell you the gospel, but yet they weren't converted. And yet there comes a point where one, the same thing they've heard over and over and over again, their soul's converted. It wasn't because the speaker was better. It wasn't because the orator rephrased it so you could better understand it. That's when Jesus came and called them into salvation and they came to him. Zacchaeus comes down from that tree, receives him joyfully. Not only does he receive Christ joyfully, but we're told that he, he goes to the house. Right? So he's sensible of what's being received here. He understands what's happening. He's submitting to Christ as being the one who called him. Listen, anybody who's here today who has received the knowledge and the full forgiveness of their sins and they understand what it means to be in Christ is certainly joyful today. Once you realize what you're being saved from and realize that you didn't deserve to be saved, it certainly is a joyous occasion. Now notice, as always is the case, verse 7, there's always a they. That's a strange way to put it. There's always a they. The scoffers. The scorners. We've, we've been dealing with scoffers and scorners in our Wednesday night study of the Proverbs. There's always going to be those that are going to find fault with what took place. Not by coincidence, the people who are the they were the Pharisaical sort. The priests, the Levites, who were in great numbers there. And notice they don't rejoice that Jesus has called this man into his house, but when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Now, the text here doesn't give you the emphasis on the tone, right? It's kind of like when you receive a text message. The problem with that kind of communication is you can't sense the tone. So you better be very careful in the way you word it. How many misunderstandings have happened because of something written like that? It sounded like this is what you meant. It's neutral. But let's consider who's saying it. 
There's really no way to look at this and say that the Pharisees were saying this in a way that was kind. They were looking at Jesus and said, look, this man, Jesus, he's gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Now remember, this man, Zacchaeus, was a man of reputation. You see, the Pharisees were more than happy. They want nothing to do with Christ, right? Pharisees wanted nothing to do with Christ, but they were bothered by the fact that Christ was going to a sinner's house. That's the true nature of a Pharisee. See, the Pharisees, they don't want anything to do with Christ. There are churches filled all over this country with people who want nothing to do with Christ. They go to church every week. They sing songs. They open something. Sometimes it's a Bible. Sometimes it's a book. Who knows what it is? But they open it. They sing a few things. They go home and they say, listen, uh, we, 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 we just feel good today. They don't want anything to do with Christ. Pharisees wanted nothing to do with him, but yet they were concerned with who he ate with. I always ask myself the question, why do you care? Why does an atheist care that you believe? Have you ever thought about that? Why are they so bothered that you care about a God that they don't believe in? Because Romans 1 says they're not without excuse. They actually know there's a God. They're denying him. An atheist is self-atheist because he is without excuse. That's what happens. The Pharisees, why do you care? Well, that's the same various reasons why they eventually... Christ allows himself to be taken and put upon a cross because they accuse him of blasphemy. He claims equality with God, which he wasn't lying. He was equal with God. He is God. They murmur. It's not the first time, Luke 15, 2, it says, and the Pharisees and scribes murmuring, murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. This is one of those things that really disgusted them. How could Jesus... Go and be with such sinners. Yet the Pharisees were sinners themselves. I get asked this question a lot. Is it all right for me to sit down and have a, have a meal with somebody who I know is unsaved? Absolutely it is. Listen, you are not going to be defiled now look, should it be your regular pattern to live like the ungodly and do this? No. But someone says, I can't go to that. I can't go to that. That person's a sinner. And so are you. You're a sinner saved by the grace of God and you're still sinning. There's things in your heart right now you don't want anybody to know about. But how pharisaical can, how pharisaical can we be by saying, I can't go to that sinner's house. Why don't you just go to that sinner's house and say, come and see. You think God in heaven is really looking at us and saying, you know what? You shouldn't go talk to that sinner. No, we got to take advantage of every opportunity we have. Sit down with the atheist and talk to them. Control your emotions, but talk to them. The thing that Jesus was doing is the very thing the Pharisees hated. Notice it says, verse 8, and Zacchaeus, and when they saw they'd all murmured, and verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. 
Let me just say this, and I, I, you'll know the spirit I'm saying this in. If restoring back what we've taken was part of our salvation, we might have a lot of people that run away from it. Zacchaeus, without being told, Jesus doesn't say, all right, Zacchaeus, if this is real, here's what I want you to do. I want you to restore back to every man you took something from falsely. And I want you to restore it. Not only restore it, I want you to restore it fourfold. This all came to Zacchaeus on his own. Jesus didn't command him to do it. What is he talking about? As Zacchaeus is standing before Christ in the presence of others, he makes a public profession that all might hear it so that when he came to his house, he says unto the Lord, he addressed himself to Christ, made his confession he confessed before the Lord his God, and Zacchaeus is directing his words to Christ. This is a man who is convinced that who was standing before him was in fact his Savior. He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give unto the poor. By the way, he's not doing this to make a satisfaction for the sins he committed. Another false way this is taught. He's not doing this as penance. He's doing this as evidence. There's a big difference. Jesus doesn't send him to the priest and say, Father, I have sinned. Blasphemous introduction. Uh, speaking as, Father, I've sinned. There are no father. Call no man father. Go and do penance. No, he said this is evidence that something has taken place in my life. Half of the goods I give unto the poor. He's testifying to his sense of his own understanding of his sins and his repentance for them. He was willing to do good with what he had received. It shows that the very soul of Zacchaeus had been altered. He had gone from being an oppressor to someone who is kind and tender and liberal in a good sense. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, which was common, extortion, if I've taken from any man by pretense, making an unjust demand or any oppressive way, defrauding, tricking, deceiving, doing him harm in any form or manner, I restore him fourfold. And I, I, would, I would advise you to do this on your own time. I can't, I can't expand this today. But this is not just a random thing that Zacchaeus pulls out. Zacchaeus is a Jew. And what he's actually doing is part of what would happen in the case of sheep stealing. This afternoon, go home and look up Exodus 22. Zacchaeus isn't pulling random things out and says, I think what sounds good is I'm going to restore this. and do this. He's basing it on what he knew about sheep stealing. But there's something more to it. In a case like this, the law only required the principle to be returned. But what Zacchaeus says instead is he proposes to not only re return what he had taken, but to restore it fourfold. This was rarely done, even in the Old Testament law, that a person would not only restore what they took, but restore fourfold. Jesus did not command him to do this in this case, and yet that's what Zacchaeus did. 
Verse 9, Jesus says unto him, again, speaking to him, Jesus saying, there's people here and it's not just that. Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. This day is salvation come to this house. The gospel is the means of bringing salvation. It comes in the power and the demonstration of the Spirit. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is truly said that salvation had come to Zacchaeus' house. It didn't make his salvation possible. It actually was wrought in him effectually. Salvation had come to him. That's what the gospel publishes. He was not made aware of his sin and then left to decide, what will I do? But rather, this was brought to him and set before him and applied to him. Salvation was applied to him before he even knew it. Christ is the author of our salvation. Jesus made himself known to Zacchaeus as his Savior and his Redeemer. For as much as he also is the son of Abraham. This is an interesting phrase that Jesus uses. These words apply to him in a spiritual sense. Now remember, Zacchaeus is a Jew. Some of the Jews believed that as long as we were the seed of Abraham, we are okay with God. Jesus isn't saying that you were saved because of your family tree. Just like parents, your kids are not saved just because you are. Your children are not saved just because you took them to church. Our genealogy makes no difference. I have friends who grew up in the church their whole life and want nothing to do with God today. Nothing. They want nothing. I mean, they actually, they, they, would, they would spit in his face if they could. Kids I sat in Sunday school classes with. Kids I sat in youth group with. I know kids that I had as a youth director who are, who are away from God and want nothing to do with God. They were raised in good homes, good families, appeared to be everything was on the up and up, and they are away from God. You being a Christian doesn't make your children or your grandchildren Christian. Being a Jew did not make them okay with God. This is a spiritual application that Jesus is applying. This is to be understood as a son of Abraham in a spiritual sense. He now being a believer in Christ walked in the steps of faith that Abraham walked. This was evidence of his salvation by Christ. He now being the son of Abraham is to be a child of the promise. In other words, Zacchaeus was one of God's chosen vessels of salvation. That was the reason why Christ, the author of salvation, came to him. That's why the gospel of salvation was made known unto him. And that's why the blessing of salvation was applied to him. Because he was one before the foundation of the world. And then Jesus, for the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself. He who was truly man and truly God. One of the, his names in the Old Testament is come. Where did he come from? Jesus Christ came from heaven into this world. Being sent by whom? Being sent by the Father with the full obedient desire to do the Father's will. 
Christ always did his father's will. What was the father's will? To seek and to save that which was lost. To seek and to save all of his chosen ones in Adam. All that are in their state of unregeneracy. But don't lose sight of the fact that he also came to seek and to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which Zacchaeus was one. You see, there are some that say, God's just totally done with all the Jewish people. Zacchaeus was a Jew. The Apostle Paul. Think about this. Jesus Christ saved Paul. Jesus Christ saved Zacchaeus. These are words... Jesus, why he came and he looked up, why he called Zacchaeus by his grace, he applied salvation to him for the son of man has come to save that which was lost. We'll conclude with this thought, verse 11, and, the, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Verse 11 shows us the disciples still do not have complete and full thoughts concerning Christ's kingdom. This means that they still thought in their mind of Jesus bringing a temporal earthly kingdom now. They still are not seeing his kingdom properly. He presents them the practical matter for him to, them to remember was he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. If those disciples had not been so full of their temporal ideas, they would have looked and realized that the calling of Zacchaeus was Christ manifesting his true kingship. When Jesus talks about coming to seek and to save that which was lost, he's not talking about a temporal kingdom, an earthly kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom of mercy. He's talking about him demonstrating sovereign grace. The disciples were not to get the idea what's wrong with the temporal kingdom, but rather they should have seen the mercy of Christ towards Zacchaeus for what it was meant to be. We're not going to cover it, but Jesus goes on then to tell a parable, and he tells a parable of the pounds. And what that parable is about is teaching his disciples to prepare for his second coming. He hasn't even left yet, but he starts preparing them for when he's going to come again. I would say to you today that if the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit, is commanding you to repent and believe, do just that. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, what if he turns me away? He won't turn you away. He'll not say no to anybody who comes to him in repentance and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I certainly pray that if that's the Lord's will today to save someone here today, I pray that today is that day of salvation. Let's pray together.